Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a couple pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a seasonally appropriate scripture passage. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and equipping, especially for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Larissa Levicheva, and our text this week is Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 24. Ezekiel 34, 11 through 24. Larissa, as you know, is a, is a regular guest uh, here on the show, a uh, fellow professor at Wesley Seminary, where she teaches Bible, uh, specializing in Old Testament and Old Testament poetry and wisdom in particular. And we love having her on the show to, to dig in to the texts at hand. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to talking about Ezekiel with her today. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already, so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you enjoy the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass the show along to others so that they may benefit as well. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Larissa. Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 24. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddled with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince amongst them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, you are the shepherd, and we are the sheep of your pasture. We are the flock in your hand. And so we open our ears and our minds and our hearts to receive the word of God spoken then and there and here and now. Oh, that today we would hearken to your voice, that we would hear the shepherd's voice and being your sheep, hear your voice, know your voice and follow you. Father, we ask that you would guide us by your spirit in this hour, that what we say and see may lift up our hearts in praise to you and obedience to you, and that it may do the same for those who are listening in and all those who in turn are listening to those who listen in in whatever roles they may have as witnesses and shepherds in this world. So we pray for this hour that it may be unto your glory and for our formation and edification. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Amen. Amen. So, Lara, what's uh, what's grabbing you about this classic text? I know we kind of plucked it out of context. We'll get we'll, we'll we'll talk bigger picture of Ezekiel in the second segment if you want, but just for now, what what's what's grabbing your attention uh, in this passage today? I think what's uh, what's quite clear from this passage is how the Lord says, "I myself." Right. This is a it's a very particular grammatical structure where the personal reflexive pronoun is used, I and then myself. But it uh, adds the strength to, uh, to the sentence, saying that the subject is so important, much more important than what will be done by the subject. So the Lord quite uh, clearly uh, makes uh, evidence that he, from now on, will take care of his people rather than delegating it to the princes, to kings, and whoever is in charge, but he will be their shepherd. And then I'm sure it reminds us of the um, I'm the good shepherd saying of Jesus, but I hope that this, this is the context of why Jesus says that. Yeah. I think quite often um, – we think, well, there, are so many, there were so many shepherds in Israel, so Jesus just decided to compare himself to a shepherd, which, which is true, but it is uh, much more significant that he is using the language that the Lord is using about himself in this passage. It's already a canonical parable, as it were, or canonical metaphor, right? It's, right. It's a, and then like yeah. you said, it has a history prior to this text. Right. Adonai himself has sort of commandeered it as his own with right. that double emphasis, I myself. Yeah. So, the, so for him to be the good shepherd is to locate himself in, in a kind of nearness and identification with the Lord. Right. Yes. And yeah, you no know, wonder he, they wanted to kill him, right? right. So he puts himself <laughs> in that narrative that is so familiar um, to the people. So whenever yeah. they hear that, they, they know when he says, I'm the good shepherd, the implication is, well, you are the evil ones. Mm, right. So, right. 
Yeah. Right. Cause that's the larger context here is that the whole chapter starts with, you know, how terrible the shepherds have been. Right. Right. <laughs> I, right. That's why he needs to sort of do it himself as it were. Right. So I, I'm correct that unlike English, Hebrew, which would be more like a lot of other languages, the I, I, I shepherd, you shepherd, we shepherd, he shepherd, the I, the, the subject is built into the verb. Correct. So that even just the word I would already add emphasis. Right. Right. To even have a pronoun at all. And then am I correct? That, so that part I kind of already knew and a lot of our listeners might knew. Now, am I correct that you are suggesting that there's a kind of even more emphatic double right. I almost here because on me is, is the reflexive pronoun rather than just the standard what what would be just a regular old I if you wanted to add? Well, it is it like anarchy or anarchy? And okay. this is what's used here. But because the way it's put together, the way the construction works in Hebrew, Got there it. is an emphatic first person I myself. Got it. Usually, uh, the personal pronoun is not used at all. It's only the verb. Right. The ending tells you, and prefix sometimes tells you what uh, the subject should be as far as the pronoun is concerned. But because the first-person personal pronoun is there, that makes it emphatic adding myself. Okay. And that's how to cap one way to capture it in English. And then I assume the, the behold that opens it, the hini or the hini, though, of course, that's a pretty stock way to open a, a prophetic utterance. Nevertheless, there's some emphasis built into that too. So, I mean, there's a lot of kind of right. like wake up. <laughs> Yeah. So the emphasis is less on I, what this isn't doing, I guess, is saying I am like a shepherd. It's like, no, the shepherd role is already, is already known. That's the lead. That's the Kings, the elders, the, the chief priests. We can talk about aspects of that if we want. The emphasis is less on the, well, you know what it means to be a shepherd. And I'm saying I'm now the shepherd instead of the one who's delegating that I'm taking it back onto myself. Am I tracking you yes, right when I say that? Okay. Correct. The, uh, the identification of a leader, a king, for example, uh, with a shepherd was a standard ancient Near Eastern practice in the literature of that time. And uh, usually the, the king, like, you know, Hammurabi or Esar Hadon of Babylon, they would, they would say, I am a good shepherd on behalf of whatever God I'm serving. Okay. And my role as a good shepherd is to, you know, to save, to deliver, to bring together uh, my sheep. So this is a very familiar uh, metaphor for that time and that place. What's different about this is that God now takes that role okay. rather than a leader that he chooses to act on his behalf. Yeah, this is fun. I mean, we don't have to, I don't want to go get too far afield, but just following up on that, I've been noticing that almost every time shepherd appears in the Psalms, with the exception of uh, 77 and 23, I think, there might be others that I haven't found yet, but almost every time shepherd's used, it's, it's not a metaphor for God. It's a metaphor for the king, King David or his line. Um, is that, am I observing that correctly or that that typically in the Psalms, the Psalms tend to not be doing what Ezekiel's doing here since Psalm 23 is so famous and often the first Psalm that a a Christian is going to learn, they might, it's easy to get in our heads that 
oh, shepherd, shepherd metaphor, this is like a standard way of talking about God, but actually it's not. It's very uncommon, actually, for it to be the role that God plays. Again, there's hints of it elsewhere um, outside right. of 34 and maybe a larger historical question that may fascinate me and not you. So bat it down if, it, if it's uninteresting, but is to what extent this particular utterance had an influence? I mean, were these Psalms, was the theme of God as shepherd more of a post-exilic theme or, or is that an ancient idea? I just don't know. Or I, I just would, I, I'm curious if you have thoughts on that. And we, and if you're like, I don't know about that, John, let's just talk about the text in front of us. Then you can just blow it off. But <laughs> No, this is not a post-exilic idea. And I think that's important to think, uh, to know that and to remember about it as we read uh, Ezekiel, right? 34, the understanding of a shepherd and everything that he does on behalf of his people, his sheep, is a very common uh, ancient Near Eastern idea. So as I said- kings, is attributing it to God kind of a new idea? Or is that old too? No, no, no. God is the king, I guess. So the true king in a way. Right. Sorry, I'm making it complicated. Yeah, I know it's an old theme for kings, but is it an old theme for thinking of God as shepherd or is that a new idea? Uh, No, I think this is why it's so powerful in Ezekiel because it is a new idea. Got it, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the king is considered the divine um, child, son, image, yeah. incarnation. Yeah, divine uh, <laughs> incarnation, right? But the the key, uh, the God Himself, like whatever God that may be, right? In other cultures, is never the shepherd. I see. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually particularly chosen just to speak uh, about the king who does uh, a lot on behalf of his people. So all the texts that talk about like a particular king who goes to war and mm. takes over another nation would, would, would have uh, something like, you know, as a good shepherd, I bring those people in, I take care of them. I have done so much more for them than the previous king. And Okay. And, yeah. Yeah. They were like little lost sheep and I gathered them together into a flock and now they're right. being well fed. And even though they were, you know. So that would be part of the ideology of oppression, it sounds like, is to say, right, at least at the time, yes, to say, yeah, you might think I'm, you know, a a tyrant over you, but I'm actually, you know, I'm your shepherd. I'm taking care of you. Right. No, no, no. no. I'm so benevolent and I'm so kind and I'm so generous and I'm so (laughs) It's all for you. I'm doing it for you. So was this particularly, I mean, maybe I'm going too far afield, but was this particularly popular for more sort of expansionist kinds of royal houses, you know? I mean, were, was, it, was it particularly popular for, um, although I guess that's that's what we have the literature of mostly, right? The Assyrians, Babylonians and stuff. So, so yeah. So at least as far as we know, that's, yeah. they're expanding was, their flock as it were, right? right. Uh, which is what shepherds would do. I mean, even just, you know, the if you were to find, you right. know, lost sheep out somewhere, you might, uh, collect them up and make them part of your flock. I mean, it's just, it's a different kind of gig than, than agriculture where it's like kind of clear whose land is whose. Right. In, sh- in the, in the flock world, it's uh it can be a little bit more, uh, there's a lot more competing over possession. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's so fascinating. So, so my hunch was not completely off that even though there's a lot of shepherd characters, through Genesis and even Moses and David, that the imagery is primarily a kind of royal imagery, which we have remnants of in the Psalms, we have remnants of in other places, so that this is a real a real turning point in 
you could say the development of Israel's theology to have this kind of claim for God claiming this shepherd title for himself. Right. Um, Wow. Yeah. So what we see in this text is in a way a reversal of the history and uh, the situation in Israel Mm. because, you know, we had judges who were the deliverers also, right? With every judge, there was some military situation where people Mm -hmm. needed to be delivered. But then, you know, there was a king who was the shepherd on behalf of uh, God over his people. But now what we see God doing in this passage is kind of reversing that and saying, no, we're going back to theocracy where I will be the Mm. Lord. I will be your king. And I will take care of you. And I, so everything that the king is supposed to do for you, ah. I am doing that. For example, in uh, verse 12, it says, I will rescue you from different places, from all the places where they were scattered. So that is most likely a reference to exile. And then, you know, when he the talks hope of about evil yeah. sheep, a little bit later saying that they scattered you, the evil shepherd yeah. scattered you. Now, I'm the good shepherd who will bring you back. So, again, making the point that exile is a result of poor leadership, right? Right. Non-existent leadership. So, I, as your shepherd now, will restore you the way you were supposed to be. So, there will be no more delegation. Like, I will take care of it. Like, the Lord is talking about that. Yeah, so, does that mean... The Lord through Ezekiel is preparing the people for, I mean, this is a hope of restoration, as you find at the end of Ezekiel, as you find at the end of Isaiah um, and Jeremiah. But this hope of restoration, there's a clarification that it will not necessarily be the restoration of the old monarchical system. Is that, is that at least at, a, at the sort of political level of this text? Is that part of what's going on here is a kind of – because Ezekiel is not the, probably the first one to prophesy a return, but I wonder if there could have been other prophets at the time or even other prophets in, in the canon who spoke of the return in a way, perhaps from with Messianic language in, in Isaiah, that could have generated a hope of, ooh, we're going to have our a royal house again. Everything's going to be, quote, back to normal. And if Ezekiel sort of – hinting subtly here, maybe I'm reading too much into the text, let me know, but well, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, maybe it fits that he's from a priestly line. It's like, no, there's going to be more of a theocratic existence. Ezra's going to be, not that he knows who Ezra is yet, but Ezra's going to be at the center rather than the Nehemiah, rather than these political leaders. Really, the heart of it is going to be a direct guidance of the people by God himself, and maybe the whole monarchical thing that might not be coming back super soon or when it does, it's going to look very different. Am I, am I saying too much to say that or, or is, and is that a place where Ezekiel maybe is, has a different emphasis than what we find in some of the other prophets? Uh, Tell me if I'm just out to lunch. I think you're on the right track. And uh, especially because he talks about here, how uh, there will be like, I'll bring you together as one. Hmm. So politically, they should think there will be no more division between the Northern and the Southern Kingdom. Ah, okay. Yeah. But that was like, as in, it was never my plan to begin with. I'm bringing you all together. So as one kingdom, 
And uh, I think with the uh, mentioning of, you know, my, my servant David will be. Right. The le- right? At the end, you, you get it. You get the delegation yeah. comes back. But. <laughs> yeah. but it's more of a, you know, I'm the true king and David is just a more of my ambassador, you know, my representative. But I am leading you, not the king. Does that make sense? Yeah. So verse 24. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously my little pitch is undermined a little at first glance, at least with 23, 24, but 23 says, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, and I want to check, is there's an emphasis again? Let me get, let me look at 24. No, there's well, no kind of there's Ani. Vani. Yeah, but it's not in the same, like I myself. Okay, because it's not but, a, yeah, and the it, way it's constructed. It was, yeah, it's, it's all written as a poetry. Sure. Right? Yeah. So sometimes it's just a, you know, because of all the parallel uh, constructions, sometimes right. it, it will work, sometimes it won't. Sometimes. But it's, yeah, it's the same as so, before. And I, Adonai, will be their God and my servant David shall be interesting, a prince among them, Nasi, which doesn't, I mean, that doesn't mean not a king in the way that we might think in the English system that I think prince is still a pretty exalted title, but nevertheless, it implies a kind of a little bit of a sort of upper and lower, right? He's the king. And is that fair to say, or is that just a poetic parallel to to call him prince? Is Or is there a little bit of a Choosing to not use the word for king there, is there something subtle there to kind of say, yeah, he's going to be the principal shepherd, he's going to run things, but he's clearly been in a subordinated position, am I, or am I reading too much? Yes, in? yes, yeah. Okay. So, you know, the king is set, like the position of a king is already settled. That will be God. And That's the fact me- that Melech, Melech prince, is that right? Melech is king, Melech. Melech. Mm-hmm. And David would often be referred to as Melech, right? That would be a good title for David. Correct. So to call him Nasi is, there's a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink here, right? No, maybe? Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. That's not the typical title for David, Nasi? I don't think Ezekiel is uh, um, subtle. Yeah. Okay. By using that word, he writes out the hierarchy the way it's going to be. Okay. Okay. I wanted to make sure I wasn't reading into that a modern oh, no, meaning no, of no, prince no, and king. Okay. That's right. fair to that time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, John, he's not being subtle. <laughs> he's being, well, it's subtle to me because I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> right. oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Ezekiel's not known for his subtlety. <laughs> oh, but man. Just a, you know, you mentioned uh, Isaiah, right? And the uh, understanding of uh, the like shepherd coming, you know, from Isaiah. What's interesting, Isaiah uh, talks uh, about Cyrus as the shepherd mm. God appoints. So just, right. just again to to speak to the idea that this is a very common and widely used metaphor. God even you know uses that for a non-Israeli king. But yeah, he's so it's a role to play. Behalf, so it's it's quite um, common. Yeah. Well, that's great. Let's take a quick break and come back and uh, dig in a little deeper. Mm-hmm. 
And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Thank you. <laughs> You're with... Great to be here. Larissa. <laughs> we're giggling because we had some technical difficulties, and so there was a, there was a bit of a... A bit of a lengthy break that we we don't have to reveal how long between <laughs> segment one and two, but yeah. So I had a question for you, and we can spend as much or as little time as you want yes. on this. But I got a little. We talked quite a bit around the the passage, verses seventeen through nineteen. The the sort of imagery or metaphor there, I got a little lost. Maybe it's because I'm not a shepherd. I was wondering if you had any, if you could just kind of walk me through that or walk us through that. Maybe it's obvious to you, and if so, you can help us out. But <laughs> I didn't follow 17 through 19 as well as I would have liked. Any thoughts on the gist there? Yes. So in this passage, what we see Ezekiel saying, or God's saying through Ezekiel, it's mostly about deliverance. But the deliverance is seen in two areas, so to speak. Uh-huh. One from the external threats, and that's the first part of the passage from 11 to 16 about where God is saying that I, as a good shepherd, will rescue you from all over the world where, where you are now and find the, the laws bring back the strays and uh, bound up the wounded. So the, the idea there is that now that they're in exile or wherever they may be, God will bring them back to Israel and restore them. That's the external threat. Addressed, but then there is an internal threat, and that is from the evil shepherds, okay. the leaders, the kings, the priests of Israel itself. So, in seventeen through nineteen, and even a little bit further, God is talking about how He will look at the flock as a whole. Right now, that God yeah. is the shepherd; everybody before Him is on even ground, right? They're all, They're sheep. all sheep. Yeah, okay. So now the shepherd is no longer the king, but God himself. So now he is looking at how sheep behaves. And those who are bad or evil sheep, who used to be shepherd, so to speak, and now the suffering sheep who have been oppressed and marginalized and mistreated by the evil shepherds. That's so much help because I was lost because, and I didn't even understand the cause of my confusion mm-hmm. until I heard you speak, you know, like the, the truth reveals what the counterfeit, you know, like, <laughs> right. um, clarity clarifies confusion, uh, where, because, you know, there's a, especially in the earlier, the section right before this, that this is all a part of earlier in 34, he's critiquing the shepherds of Israel. Right. As we could say, the the apparent shepherds of Israel, right, or, right. or the former shepherds, shepherds depending how right. we think of it. So I got a little lost because I thought he's judging the shepherds, and I'm mm-hmm. the new shepherd or the true shepherd. Whereas you just that's just light bulb for me, like to think for God to say he's shepherd is to say that even those who claim to be shepherds are first and foremost and finally sheep. Right. So there's still this is still judging probably the same shepherds that are getting judged earlier in the chapter. Right. But it's yeah. sort of switching the metaphor and turning them into sheep. Correct. As actually turns out, yeah, you were bad shepherds, but actually that just meant you were bad sheep. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Oh, so. so then the imagery now makes sense because it was like all the imagery is like what a bad sheep would do, you know, like yes. <laughs> just mm-hmm. misbehaving. Yes. You, tra- you, you, eat, you, you eat on the good pasture. You pick the good pasture over the bad. 
And then you go and tread mm-hmm. down with your feet the rest of the pasture. Right. And so, then you drink, you not only clear, you know, pick the best water, you go and make the water muddy for everybody else. It's this. So you, you prosper already, but it's not enough for you to prosper. You have to make it even worse for the poor. Yeah. And the oppressed. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, that's what, so uh, that's what's happening here. And that reminds you, I hope, um, of, uh, Jesus's words in Matthew, mm-hmm. right? Closer to the end of Matthew, where he's also talking about, I will judge between the sheep oh and the my, goats. Yes. So I wonder if when the pers- the people heard it, they thought back to, to this, because that's not a new metaphor. It's already an established metaphor yep. Yep. in the scripture. So it's not just, and he, he is in conversation with the Pharisees there, right? The shepherds. The, shepherds. <laughs> the claimed, yes. So right. the point is not that they don't believe in Jesus. The point is they didn't really obey yeah. God and did not teach the truth to the people. Mm-hmm. So Jesus picks up on the same metaphor there. Oh, I mean, I find that very even just convicting. I don't know what kind of shepherd I am, but the thought of, you know, not only taking the I mean, you can even think of it the way that, I mean, even human children will do this, right? You not only like, you know, like, you know, when they're fighting over the best seat on the couch, they not only want the best seat, but they also want the, you know, they'll like, they'll knock the cushion off of the seat that the other one's on, right? Like, it's kind of (laughs) like, but I mean, it's just built into the the sinfulness of human nature to kind of not only want what's, wanting what's best is one thing. That's already a failure of charity as it were and then denying even the second best to the unprivileged right. is then a you know an undermining of justice right so there's not even yes. basic justice of at least let them if you're going to take the best part <laughs> at least let the other people have the bad part don't right. take it away from them on top of that right and this is why the language here is the language of justice i will mm. judge between the rams right i will judge i will judge so it's um, the issue of justice that the evil shepherds completely disregarded. And that's why they judged. Yeah. So in 20, so following along on that then in 20, the language here, is it remain? I think it's still in that framework, yes. right? Mm-hmm. It's still the internal threat then. Cause right. now it's fat sheep and lean sheep. Correct. You're pushing aside with the shoulder, thrusting at the weak with your horns Right, it really ratchets it up because, like, again, eighteen and eighteen and nineteen, well, at least eighteen, right? The the muddying of the the the, the, the trampling and the muddying of the pasture is not a sort of direct and straightforward. You could you could claim like, oops, right? Like, oh, you let you right. right? Yeah. So it's, there's a ratcheting up. It's getting more because uh, it could just you know. I mean, I'm use I'm, I'm thinking the imagery of you know right. of sheep. Uh, just playing around, goofing around, uh, right. and not being considerate. But as it as it continues, the the claim is much stronger because it's pushing aside. Right, it's very intentional. Yes, thrusting at the weak with your horns, yes. scattering them abroad. See that even is to the point where it's that's maybe a, a gesture at the that even though the scattering was ordained by God as judgment, and even though it was executed by 
the Babylonians. Right. It's ultimately yes, the, their fault. Yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, they only have themselves to blame. And right. then to rescue or save the flock is not only, and that's powerful, verse 22, is not only to save them from being prey of the wolves, we'll say, of, of Babylon or whatever, right? right? But yeah. even to be prey right. of, you know, the fat sheep that take advantage of them. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's great. I I, I feel like the, the metaphors okay. filling out for me, maybe for some of our listeners as well. <laughs> Well, what else, what else do you want to interpret here? What else is is weird or interesting or what's what's drawing your attention in this text? Okay. So moving on in um, 23 then, uh, the Lord says, I will appoint for them a single shepherd hmm. and he will feed them. My servant David will feed them. So uh, we should not think that Ezekiel is thinking about physical David coming back. Mm-hmm. It's a reminder about... Of the, of the covenant that God made with David and his dynasty, right? So whenever we read the prophets and David is mentioned, it's always the descendant who is meant, but it's the idea of God's faithfulness to the covenant with David. So that whoever will come will be from his lineage. Yeah, okay. So that's, I think that's, uh, that's good to remember. But also with David, he was a shepherd, yeah. Right, and he so became king. Very... So it's a very uh, uh, fitting image here as well. So that's that's good. And I uh, don't remember if I mentioned it or not, but it's a single shepherd, which yes. means uh, Israel once again will be united. Right, and under David. Right. Yeah. I mean, so there should be no northern and southern kingdom anymore. Yeah, so that's and of course spoken by Ezekiel, who's himself a Judean and from the south, or a Le- or maybe right. a Levite, but but he's a Jerusalemite. Correct. So uh, it's a it's a unity under uh, you know his side. So of course there's a little bit of a <laughs> wink right. wink there, but th- right. that might not be perceived as good news uh, to the Samaritans. But alas, the but that's clearly the promise, and so that single shepherd and line of David. So here's a question for you. I'm just trying to remember from my study of Ezekiel. So I know the kind of Davidic, explicit Davidic references, as well as sort of motifs and themes are really strong in Isaiah and strong mm-hmm. in some key of quote unquote minor prophets. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember if Ezekiel talks about David a lot. Cause it's certainly occurring to me, like I don't remember a lot of David talk in Ezekiel. I mean, if that doesn't ring a bell, then we can move on, but right. No, he doesn't. It's. It's in this in this part of the book where, in a way, he's looking to the future, right. to the restoration. He's in uh, exile, right? So he's trying sure. to give a message of hope, not just judgment, mm. right? But of hope. And the hope is that the people will be restored, and they will be restored under um, the ruling of a David-like king. So yeah. that's that's a note of hope. Unifies the nations, man after God's heart. Right. So the initial, whatever the initial, the one who gets the ball rolling on the building of the temple. So a restored temple, which is right. the final chapters of Ezekiel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and unity among the people, and then again the promise 
the hope again is the reminder of the promise that God made to David, and He's still faithful to that promise. Yeah. So the promise will um, your take line place. and seed will always be on this throne. Right. Well, always meaning yeah, there might be interruptions, but but <laughs> you'll get you'll get back on the throne. Right. Yeah. So that there will be one flock and one shepherd. Right. right. Can't help but think of that. Right. That language in John. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And with uh, Zedekiah being the last king who was not really, um, who didn't really end well. Yeah. Right. So to hear in exile that there will be another king, that there will be a restoration, is very uplifting. Yeah. Yeah, it is uplifting, and I and it seems to me that like, of course, Isaiah. There's like multiple references to this David line, but it sort of occurs to me. Maybe you tell me. So Ezekiel is a priest. He's right. much more critical of the – he spends a lot more emphasis on the failures of the priests. Right. And, of course, if you're off in exile, maybe there's a little less of a – I mean, the David talk is a great way of saying, hey, that was a good king. You kings are – you know, like right. some of the, you know, some of the mm-hmm. prophets, you can tell they're addressing the, the royal house a bit with their critique. Whereas yes. Ezekiel's addressing the, the priestly Christmas. class a little more. So that would help. I'm just throwing that out. Right. Does that hypothesis resonate as to why there might be a little less David talk? Though there, it's not. I'm not talking about him. To not, he, right. he has it. It's just. Right. I did a quick flip, and I'm just like, I'm not seeing a ton of David stuff, which makes it almost more powerful when someone doesn't say right. something a lot to sort of like he brings it in, because you know he could say uh, a priest like Aaron. Right. right or yes. or a priest of the order of Melchizedek. Right? <laughs> but I mean, like it's interesting that he he shows his hand because, given so much of what's gone before in Ezekiel, you could take the shepherd's language here as, you know, priests or kings or both, and and it is both. But right. the the last note here is is definitely a lot more on uh on the royal house. I am the Lord. I have spoken. <laughs> is that a stock ending? Or that doesn't. I don't feel like. I, yeah, I don't think it's it's the ending. It's it's a very long. Because it's still speech. going, right? Twenty five right. is still mm-hmm. going. Yeah. So again, it's about what uh, what type of covenant, uh, a new covenant, right? A renewed covenant that God will establish with His people, saying that there will be a covenant of peace. It's interesting because during Davidic times, there was really no peace. Mm. Right, David was <laughs> fighting and continuing to um, get more and more territory, right? And even when he tried to build a temple, God quite clearly told him, uh, no, have too much blood on your hands, uh, right? Yeah. So, but, it, but it's interesting how now uh, the time of David is the golden era. Yeah. So, this is what we are continuing on with in the future, right? Because that was the best time. As we remember it. So is it about returning to the peacefulness of that time or kind of a picking up where we left off, as it were? Like, because it seems that there's a return language. I mean, this is a great dynamic. I mean, Ezekiel captures this. This is why he maybe is on the line a little between the prophetic and the apocalyptic, as it were, right? right? Because Mm -hmm. it's not just there is return, but there's also a, and yet beyond and new and different. Right. Even because, of course, he shall be the prince. Right, With the right. Lord as the king, 
And you're right. Like it's a golden age, but you know, it's not just a return to normal as it were. It's a moving forward into something even. Yeah. It's, it's almost like it's a return to Samuel times, right? When Samuel was the judge and the priest. And whenever people asked for the king, it was like, that's okay. You know, he will have, there will be a king for Israel. I will send one. But you as the judge will continue, mm. right? And in as a judge and as a prophet. So here, it's not just, yes, as a return to what, what used to be, but more of this is how we started and then you turned away. So let's kind of continue that line that was supposed to be uh, followed. Yeah, that's worth glancing at. The rest yeah. of this passage to think about that. So it's a covenant of peace, which I would assume includes peace between North and South too, because that, right. in that so, sense, yeah. yeah. There is one Israel. Yeah. Right. Banish wild beasts from the land. So that's continuing the imagery a little bit. Right. Though those probably aren't the other sheep. Those would be the other nations. Sure. Uh, right? Yes. But, mm-hmm. So that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. <laughs> Safe, right? Right. And I will make yeah. them... And the places all around my hill, a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase. It's all about the land now. They shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord, the classic punchline of all Ezekiel prophecies. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the land of those who enslaved them, they shall no longer be a prey to the nations. So there's the prey imagery but now more about the nations again, rather than being a prey to their right. fellow mm-hmm. their fellow yes. countrymen. Nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely. None of them shall be afraid. Huh. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, with them, that I'm with them, Emmanuel, as it were. Right. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord right. God. Yeah. So this is... And that's the finale, really, right? <laughs> right, yeah. So, so that I have spoken earlier is not a... Because that could sound like an ending line. Right. So that's more of a, like a bit of a, like a seal. Right. Like a little like bit a, of a, I have officially... It's right. kind of putting the, yeah. the Adonai seal on it, kind of... <laughs> Yes, so it uh, it comes back to the idea of when the people conquered the land, that's what it was supposed to be like. Yeah. Right? But they didn't follow what God wanted them to do. So now it's bringing them back into the land and continuing with that original design. Mm-hmm. So that's a very, um, the covenant of peace, peace, not that there is uh, no war outside, but there is no war inside. Mm-hmm. So, so that they can truly prosper. And as you mentioned, Emmanuel, I will be with them, right? That's, um, that's the thought that, that goes through the Old Testament from days, from the days of Abraham when he tells them that I will, tells him that I will dwell in the midst of your descendants. Mm. Well, so as you're describing this peace, mm-hmm. it, it occurs to me, that as he restores or establishes this covenant of peace, that there's a link then with even the judgment before, because shalom, peace, 
in the Hebrew Bible is it's substantive peace. It's not the absence Correct. of conflict, but the so in ways you we could take this entire paragraph that follows as a description of true peace. Right. As they would yes. see it. That would include the land yielding its fruit. Yes. So because we know conflict often comes because you're hungry and right. so you steal and so you know, I kill you back and it, it escalates from there. But it's also a language um, that almost takes us back all the way to the garden yeah. and the fall when God curses the land. Right. right. And says that now it will not produce with right, ease. He says he'll make them and the places around a blessing. Right. So right. God is doing so much more in restoration that the land is restored. So it's. It's it's a picture that God wanted to see from the beginning, right? From the beginning of creation. Yeah. And it's uh, this reminds me of Isaiah when he says, you know, the land will lie down mm-hmm. with the land, right? So it's that type of peace where, you know, everybody coexists under the uh, rule of God. Yeah, it implies the nations are still around and no longer suffer reproach of the nations, right? They'll be right. in a, oh, yeah, they'll be they're, honored. They're. They'll be honored by these other nations rather than... Yeah. Reproached by them. Right. And the hill, you know, God talks about. The hill is verse, uh, what, 26? 26. I will make them in the places all around my mountain and hill. Right. So it's a reference to Zion. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. So it's, again, that that picture of Israel being uh, the witness to the nations, Mm -hmm. where the nations would like to come to Israel and become part of it because of their lifestyle and the God that they uh, that they serve. My hill, a blessing. Yeah, wow. Powerful, powerful uh, final vision of a total restoration and even not just a restoration back, like you said, golden age of David, yeah, but in a way, Samuel, in right. a way, Moses, of course, because shepherd language is used for Moses, you know, shepherd in the wilderness and, right. and and all the way back to the garden. You know, right. it's like all of these things. And this language usually verse twenty or no thirty, it's usually they will know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? But to say that they will know that I am the Lord their God with them. Mm-hmm. Right? As if and it's not just uh, they will know that I am with them. It's it's almost it's almost inserted into the name of the Lord. They will know that I am mm-hmm. the Lord their God with them. Yep. Which uh, that's not that's not standard. That's not repeated all the time in Ezekiel. You right. know, it's usually they will know that I am the Lord because anybody can know that, right? <laughs> that he's saying, you know, they will know that I am the Lord is the end of the line for when it's the nations will know, right? The right. nations will know because mm-hmm. sometimes they will know, but they're not. He's not their God in the same way that he is the people's. Mm-hmm. But they will know that I am their God with them. That can't be known until the whole story of judgment and restoration is complete. Right, right. Well, the the mercy, quite clear, you know, the prophets show us that the mercy uh, and restoration come only after the judgment, mm-hmm. right? They have to go through the judgment. Yeah, and you have both only. stages of that here. You really get the whole flow from the whole verse 30, the whole chapter 34 kind of has almost all the beats of the whole prophetic vision, right? <laughs> right, right. And it goes on, you know, in 35, it talks about Edom, just because they've been awful and helped yeah. in the destruction of Jerusalem, right? So they have to be punished. But then it goes to Israel and moves on uh, to the Valley of Dry Bones, yeah. right? So it's 
it's this whole turn towards hope and restoration and mercy mm-hmm. because by then judgment is done. Right. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and explore some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Larissa Levicheva, and we're going to explore some sermon starters. What kind of ideas, if you were preaching on this text or giving advice uh, to a friend who is preaching on this text, where do you think you might go with it? Well, I think a, a good thought to uh, to pursue in this is, you know, what does it mean to be a good shepherd, mm. right? We We don't need to think only about the leaders we have in the, you know, country right now, or the shepherds uh, as the pastors of the church, but it, wherever we work, mm-hmm. we work with people, our families, right? How do we shepherd our, our families? So I think it's a, it would be a good idea to, to see what it means to be a good shepherd in whatever situation you are. Yeah. So, and uh, how... Maybe some of the attitudes we exhibit from time to time is the attitude of a bad sheep. Yeah. And how to become aware of that. So, and it's difficult times for everybody right now. Yeah. So this is when, you know, being a good sheep as well Mm -hmm. as a good shepherd is important. Yeah. That combination is a fun one. I mean, I, our, our, uh, our local church pastor, Stephen Neff has, Mm -hmm. and, co-wrote with my brother this book soul shift right and has these from this to that patterns Mm -hmm. and over time i've had this sort of realization and they say this at one point i think in the book but i'll just speak for myself now but that as you move from say you know me to we is one of them i think that's the one we're focusing on this semester but it you actually discover the true me that you know what I mean? Or if you, if right. you, if you go from servant to son or to child, you actually learn what it means to serve freely. Right. 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 And, and I think that applies the most with sheep to shepherd, which is one of those shifts. Yes. It's not, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm no longer a sheep. Now I'm a shepherd. It's. I'm always know, a sheep. Right. Who also right. shepherds, right. but, right. and I think that's helpful here because in many ways, the, the assertion of, of inappropriate shepherding, is itself a sin, but it's also, as all sin is, a bondage. And it's actually freedom to not have your identity be first and foremost a shepherd, right? I'm always a right. sheep, yeah. right? It's yes. like be liberated to let God be the shepherd. Right. And as a sheep, you also engage in some shepherding, as would happen literally. You see, you know, they're different species, the shepherd, right. <laughs> but there's mommy and baby sheep, right? So there's right. still some, quote, shepherding happening within the flock, but it's right. all underneath the the oversight and guidance of the shepherd, who's the primary agent. Right. And in the flock, as we see in Ezekiel, is not just sheep, but there mm, are rams and yeah. there are this and goats. And so Even it's some wild not beasts a in there that need to get <laughs> yeah. type of you know, <laughs> flock. So remember how to be who you are and who God wants you to be with others. Uh, and allowing them to be the other that as God wants them to be. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is too too cute by half, but this opening line in verse 17, I judge between sheep and sheep and between uh, rams and milk goats. 
the, it's hard for me to not think that there's possible, if the allegory would be pressed, that these could be some references to the divisions within Israel, the different, you know, north and south even, right? And so the bringing of those together is sort of signaling that, uh, that union, uh, between others. So it sounds like what it means to be a good sheep and a good shepherd has quite a bit, a lot to do, not it's centered in submission to the shepherd, but a lot of the substance of it is the relationship with your fellow sheep, right? Right. Huh? Yeah. Well, that's powerful. I've got that phrase in 15. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep and I will make them lie down. Make them lie down yeah, in green mm-hmm. pastures, pastures, right? It's the same right. verb, right? Yep. Um, I have this book here. Just to, are you familiar with this book? You probably know this guy, yes. right? Ken mm-hmm. Bailey. Yep. So I just thought I'd recommend this to our listeners. So Ken Bailey, who does these kind of, I think he did Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes and stuff like and that. Paul. Yeah. Um, well, before I recommend the book, what, what do you think of Ken Bailey's stuff? Is it usually pretty solid or is it? Yeah, it's, or is he it's out to very, lunch? No, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think, You're the expert. <laughs> no, I think he's good. He's, and his, his books are very easy to read. Yeah. But they have a lot of substance. For them. sure. So it's, it's definitely. Yeah, they're book. not written for other scholars, but they clearly have some, some scholarly backing to them. But I thought I'd mention that he has a book called The Good Shepherd. And just if anyone's preaching on this text or any shepherd text, I mean, it is just awesome. So it does. I'll just tell you, you and the mm-hmm. listeners, are you familiar with this book or it's? Um, I've seen it. Okay. Yes. So chapter one is on Psalm 23. Chapter two is Jeremiah 23. Chapter three is Ezekiel 34, our passage. And then chapter four, is Zechariah 10. Then chapter five is Luke 15, The which actually you and I... Yes, we did that. I just remembered that. <laughs> did that? That was not planned because <laughs> we did that passage: the shepherd and the the woman, right. and then the good shepherd in in Mark six connected to the feeding of the five thousand. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they're like sheep without a shepherd. shepherd, and then the disciples as being good shepherds, mm-hmm. Matthew eighteen, and then the, of course the classic good shepherd passage in John ten, and then ends with good shepherd uh, in First Peter mm-hmm. five, which is about being. You know, being, and that's where that phrase comes, the chief shepherd and how we're like under shepherds. I don't know. I just thought this is a really good, that's a nine week, like Bible study or sermon series, right? That you could do, trace that theme and just make use of him. Uh, Or if you were, if you were following the lectionary, you could glance at chapter three of that book and it would be just, it's just really good stuff. Anyway, that's just making wrecks, you know. Yeah, no, no, that's good. <laughs> we could totally like switch section three to just, you know, book recommendations. Here, here's stuff to read about this. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> well, what else would you want to make sure to suggest or say or uh, point out before we uh, send people off to their <laughs> to their flocks to <laughs> feed them? I think uh, to consider and to live as as a um example when god is with or in the midst hmm. of so how is your family an example of that god is dwelling within this family right or how's your work situation that type of dwelling right because hmm. of you know you're in relationships with people so how is that an example of god's presence with you 
right? So I think when we remember, uh, when we recognize, remember, and embody the fact that God is with us wherever we are, whatever we are doing, that would significantly change our behavior, our actions, our thoughts, yeah, our attitudes. So, yeah, what does it mean to? Right. Be aware. I, was, I just was reading Genesis. Uh, well, it's twenty-eight this morning. Uh, when and when Jacob wakes up from his dream, he says, "You know, surely the Lord was in this place, and I did not know it." And there's sort of a and, and it's kind of interesting because on one level, we you know you take his. I, I'm I'm learning from folks like you how to not always take uh, the character's speech as definitive. <laughs> Uh, sometimes the narrator is signaling something else because right. maybe he's not just in that place. He's in a whole lot of places, you know, and, right. and, and his mm-hmm. next encounter with him is not there. It's, it's on the river Javik. So, I mean, maybe part of what Jacob is learning is the presence of God in all of the land right. of Israel. And then of course, ultimately uh, beyond that. So, uh, and of course that's, that taps into a big theme in Ezekiel in general opening chapter is guess what? The spirit of God yeah. is mobile. It's got wheels, and it's not abs. It's with you, right? Uh, even even in exile, he he's not absent. He's still moving. Unless I'm taking the the message of that differently, right. but I feel like that's part of what the wheels and wings are suggesting. Is a kind of right. the spirit of God is not. Yeah, he has he has taken up residence on Mount Zion. That's his hill, but he's not trapped there. You right, know, right. And so then to be recognizing that, um, to be the flock of God is to be, you know, the location of God's presence. And how does that shape our way of being? Right. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's good. That's a good word. Okay. Yeah. So how, how you tell me, cause you know, you, you and I are, we're ordained ministers. We do some pastoring. Mm-hmm. We probably pastor our students a little <laughs> bit. Um, but you know, on, on the Lord's Day, we're we're just uh, you know just we're, we're just we're, we're here we're listening to sermons and trying to get our kids out the door and all that. So, do you have some advice for? I mean, we have lots of listeners. Not all of them are pastors, but but uh, especially for our listeners who are pastors, like, would you have any advice on how to like not fall into the trap about making a passage like this all about themselves? Like, I feel like that's the tr- like. There's if I'm a pastor, there's a lot here of conviction and transformation and hope, you know, but like sometimes those become hard passages to preach (laughs) because you think, Oh, you're, they're my flock. And how do you talk? I don't know. Maybe you don't have any thoughts on that, but I, I, that's always really hard for me to figure out how to do, but I can always tell when I go to a sermon, I'm like, Oh, this is for pastors. This is not for me. I don't know what to do with this. You know, (laughs) maybe you've already said enough about that, but I just thought I'd bring that problem up. Right. I think it's good to remember that we are all sheep before ah. God. And when mm. we start there, and when we, when we start there and when we preach, so we don't say you, we say we, mm. right? Because that applies to me as much as it applies to you or to, you know, somebody else who is sitting, uh, in my congregation, right? So remembering the, the right hierarchy, right? That's yeah. God first and everybody. God first, then it's Jesus, right? That's the who, son. Who's all, who's the true prince. Right. Right. Yeah. The and true then, son of right. God, David. And then everybody else. Mm-hmm. So the, the leadership in the church is not there to actually rule, so to speak, right? It's to help move others along 
to be fellowship who right. don't knock the little ones out when you come to the trough. Right. <laughs> who just have uh, way more responsibility. But, right. But the rights are the same. Yeah. As everybody else. Whenever I'm asked uh, to preach, it's to me, this is a very, very um, stressful because, yeah. and not because I'm concerned standing in front of people, it's part of it, but, you know, teaching the word of God is such a high responsibility, mm. right? So teaching something wrong will come back on me, right? I will be judged for that, not the people mm-hmm. who followed, right? So just remembering that, first of all, you know, I am a sheep before yeah before god and whatever i'm trying to teach or preach applies to me as much as it applies to anybody else that's so, so good i mean humility you know this whole important. hour i mean is worth the whole price so it's free um <laughs> for i think for us to hear the we not you and that's really and that's habit that's not a like, right, like yeah. a lot of our listeners could be like, well, of course it's that. You can think that. But then really like, you know, even, and this is a tough, this is hard to do for some, but it might still be worth doing. is to actually listen or watch your own sermons for things like that. Right. Am I using a lot of you <laughs> and not enough we, you know. There can be a time for the you. It's not like you can never do it. But but asking like, and you're like, and then, you know, practicing that habit, catching yourself doing it. And this could be even a good week to like, if you're preaching on this text, it's a really great opportunity to even make that explicit. Like, hey, I'm working on remembering, you know, that I'm a sheep too, you know, and just own that. And being vulnerable Mm -hmm. right here, right? Because that's hard. And acknowledging the uh, shortcomings yeah as a pastor in front of the whole congregation is hard it's it's not that you that you're saying i'm doing this wrong and i'm doing that wrong yeah. but no that just remembering that we're all in this together and so i think that that actually you know i think that's gives really respect good. yeah you know? and it's good advice and it, it has rhetorical power and it's also just an example of the, that's very faithful to the text Right, just right. very faithful to the spirit of what this is all about. Right. Well, that's really good. Thanks so much for your thoughts. Appreciate it a lot. Oh, and your time. It's just, I mean, I'm saying it on air, but I really mean it. I love doing this with you. It's <laughs> Thank really you. Fun. I love doing that too. Yay! Well, thanks also to our audience. As always, can't imagine doing. Of course, couldn't have show without them i guess we could just talk to ourselves but it's you know probably wouldn't so thank you so much for listening and engaging thanks uh, to todd and eric for their production work can't imagine doing this without them thanks to tom adamson for donating the theme music and uh yeah with that said we say have a good preach and a great week bye-bye thank you bye-bye